It's week 37 of 2018, and today on TechNATO, we've got a lot of news out of the EU. We've also got some articles about the new Apple announcements with the iPhone and some tips to stay safe during hurricane season. That's all coming up on TechNATO, starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechNATO. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and I am joined here by Mr. Don Pizzette. Don, how are you doing today? I am doing great, ready to dive into another collection of the latest technology news and events that uh, the, the greatest collection amassed by man, uh, or whatever, sure. you know, yeah, we'll podcast go with that. today. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that. Well, uh, yeah, unfortunately, we, we uh, kind of have some, uh, um, I don't know, bad news to, to start things. We've got uh, one of those pesky hurricanes bearing, uh, barreling down on the U.S. right now. Um, the people up in the Carolinas, Virginia, uh, keeping an eye on that. But we wanted to uh, point out something that we actually talked about last year. We had some uh, preparedness, uh, last-minute disaster planning uh, in our podcast because we were facing the same thing, and we were looked at about, just about a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for those of you not in the United States, you might not realize that this is what we traditionally call hurricane season. And there is a whole chain of hurricanes heading towards the eastern seaboard of the United States right now. Uh, the biggest hurricane right now is Hurricane Florence. She is Florence. Florence, is that a man's name or a woman's name? I don't Florence. know. Florence. I'm going to go, we'll say it's a woman's name. Yeah. So <laughs> she, She's barreling down. Is uh, bearing down on North Carolina, possibly South Carolina as we speak. Uh, so definitely our, our thoughts got to everybody over there. But it was this time last year that the hurricane was bearing down on us instead uh, which does tend to happen this time of year. Uh, and so we did a podcast episode. Many of you might remember it. Uh, it was back in September called Last Minute Disaster Planning. I roped in Mr. Daniel Lowry, and uh, we went over some of the things that you can do at the last possible moment to try and make sure that your data and your information is safe, uh, and more importantly, that your people are safe. So if you are uh, currently affected or just interested in learning more about that, be sure to look for that podcast episode. Um, it came out... Boy, it was uh, September 6th of last year, so just a hair over a year ago. Yeah, episode three. And and that would actually apply not to just uh, hurricanes, but, you know, if you're in Tornado Alley or, um, you know, earthquake prone, just uh, any any natural disasters, uh, that's some tips to help you out with. And to answer your question from before, uh, the previous hurricane this year was Ernesto, and the next one is Gordon, and they alternate male and female. So Florence so is, Florence a, is, a, is a lady. Well, there we well, go. Not a lady. She's a mean, mean, vindictive <laughs> woman. Just leave it at that. All right. Well, let's get to the, uh, the well, I'd say happier news, but our first one is, um, of, of course, about something that, I don't know, it's controversial. So maybe happy for the people. No, that... put, it, put it in the proper letter. I want you okay. to pretend like you are a giant uh, international movie firm. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, you're concerned about your intellectual property. Put on my Sony hat. Uh, all right. Our first article is on The Verge. Uh, EU approves controversial copyright directive, including Internet, quote, link tax and, quote, upload filter. So this is not what was going around a few weeks ago where we were talking about the EU trying to block memes. Right. This is something else. Uh, th no, this actually is, this the, is same. the same. Oh, thing. yeah. Okay. So. So they, uh, they passed a comprehensive law that covers a number of different things. It's really big. But the two main issues people are calling out are the link tax and the upload filter. The upload filter is what impacts memes, okay. uh, which I know are important to everyone. Very important. Um, let's talk about the link tax first. You know, right now, anybody can make a website, and you can link to anybody else, 
and you can even embed a little bit of their content in your site, and it's no big deal. People just do it, right? Well, in the EU, several uh, rights holders have lobbied against that, and it's very similar if you you'll remember this, Peter, like back in the 80s, uh, it was very common for uh, any rap band to just sample other music. And they mm -hmm. would sample music, just a couple of seconds of some other song, and they would do it without paying any royalties. Yep. So the rights holders are saying it's the same thing for websites, sites like Google's uh, news website, which I use all the time. If you go to Google News, they have articles highlighted from all these different uh, news sources, right? So here, let me, I probably should have pulled this up earlier. Here, I'll, I'll pull up Google News. Uh, which many of you have probably seen, but if you haven't, this is it. And you go there and they hit the top headlines, right? But Google's not a news company. They don't make any news. They're aggregating this from the trending topics from people searching on the web. So right off, I've got Feinstein refers confidential Kavanaugh letter to FBI. Okay, all right, I don't know what that means. But the Mercury News had it, the Wall Street Journal had it, CNN, The Hill, The New York Times. All five of those news sources have referenced this particular event, Right. Now, Google used to have a little part right after that, which was like the first paragraph or whatever, right, prior to this, this bill being passed. And as I scroll down, notice how none of these have descriptions anymore? That's because of the new EU law that was just passed the other day, uh, which basically said, look, if you're posting somebody else's content, you have to pay them royalties for it. You have to pay. And so Google said, well, instead of paying, we'll just cut it down to headlines or ultimately cut it all together. Technically, the way this law reads, Google may have to kill off their news platform altogether unless they want to start paying all the sources that they index for it. Now, that would actually be bad for these sites because they would, they would lose click-through. Um, but they do have an argument in that, hey, we created the article. We should be getting paid if somebody else is using it. So this was the middle ground that Google found was if we cut out the introduction because sometimes – a headline is designed to never be enough, right? You wouldn't, or you won't believe what Feinstein <laughs> did on the on, on camera, you know, or something like that. And you click on it, she, she signed a bill. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, I, I would believe that. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's what she gets paid to do. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's how headlines are designed. Uh, but when they would include the description or the first paragraph or whatever, a lot of times, uh, that's the whole meat of the story is right there. So you'd have no need to actually go to that site. So. This has a, a pretty big effect on a number of different websites that are out there. The second part was the part that was what's called the upload filter. The way the law reads is that if your site allows people to post content, like upload and post content online, it is you, the site uh, owner, it's your responsibility to check and see if that content is copyrighted material. And if it is, you have to not allow it. Now, a lot of people... Uh, like uh, civil rights and um, uh, EFF, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and a lot of other organizations that were out there that were trying to protect free speech, they came out and said these amount to censorship boxes, that you have to basically be filtering out content before people can even put it out there. And this is where memes came into question, is that um, you know there's the Game of Thrones meme where it's got Sean, Sean Beam and... Mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I forget what the little slogan is they always make fun of, or uh, you know any of a number of other memes that are out there. One does not simply censor memes. Well, there we go. Okay, that, that would be it. So um, in those cases, the picture is almost always copyrighted material, sure. and then the, the text is made up or partially made up, partially mm -hmm. from the content. So now sites like Facebook and Twitter, they have to check the content you're uploading, and if it's copyrighted material, they block it which effectively would destroy the whole meme world, 
even though it's technically covered under fair use here in the U.S., mm -hmm. In the EU, they have a slightly different interpretation of what free speech is, uh, and you know it varies from country to country. Well, that's rough. Well, is this is this in effect now, or is this like I, I in my social studies class back in my day? I don't think there was an EU <laughs> to even contend with, so uh, I'm not sure how it uh, does it go to then the the countries for ratification, if you will, or um, or someone to sign off. You know that, that, not, is, a, sure that, uh, that is an excellent question. It passed and i was under the impression that it took effect right away i'm trying to see if the uh the verge had anything else to say against that um uh, here we go yeah. despite these disagreements what's clear is that if the copyright directive receives final approval by the uh european parliament in january it will have a huge disruptive impact on the internet uh both european and around the world so sounds like you know, maybe some some people are making uh steps like Google to say, mm -hmm. hey, even if this doesn't happen, you know, we understand why you're doing this, so so we'll make these changes, but it sounds like it maybe doesn't go into effect so until January, if that's the Three case. months away for that final yeah. approval, and then some why, people... Why wait till the end? Yeah. Some people are saying it's the death of the internet, which it isn't. Uh, other people, you know, there are all sorts of different things that are coming out about it. We'll see. It certainly puts a burden yeah. on these site holders. Um, you know, for, for somebody like YouTube, where it's a largely automated process, people upload a video, uh, you know, that, that creates a real challenge. There's some other stuff that's being tacked along. Like they're saying that uh, if a EU member state uh, calls out uh, some video content as being like supporting terrorism or having hate speech in it, that whoever is hosting that has one hour to respond, wow. which is pretty tough. And that means that whereas right now they might give whoever posted the content a chance to defend themselves, they won't be able to do that anymore. They'll have to immediately take it down, and then you can defend yourself after the fact. So it's kind of changing the way that's handled. You're, you're basically guilty until proven innocent. Um, but remember what we're talking about here. We're not talking about you're having to sit in jail. This is mm -hmm. they, they removed a video you posted online yeah. until you prove that you have the rights to do it. So it's certainly not ending our life, but uh, but it is uh, it is putting, I think, an undue burden on the, the sites that have to host this content. So sites like YouTube, if you if you have a, a great new idea for a brand new YouTube, you're going to have a hard time getting that put out there just because of all the different regulations and stuff that apply. And that's why we've seen this big movement for decentralized, like a decentralized Twitter, a decentralized YouTube, where there is no one place for a government to target, and that makes laws like these really ineffective. Yeah. And like with YouTube, I know like if I were to upload a video, it would get added to the site, and then YouTube does have um, automated processes to go through and look for music, for example, and so yeah. it'll catch that a lot. But you'll you'll find that out after it's gone up. My guess is uh, it'll change that where when you upload something, it won't be immediately put on YouTube until it has a chance to run that. So whereas right now I could put a video and it's up in five minutes, I think that's kind of what's going to change if, yeah. if this kind of stuff goes through. So What, uh, what I think is going on, and, and I'm going to say something about governments, and this applies to all of them. So um, the U.S. government, the Russian government, the EU – They've all been really ineffective at stopping this stuff at the source, right? If you want to stop people from posting hate speech video or terrorist videos, you should go after the people that are terrorists and making hate speech, right? But they've been ineffective at it. So now they're basically pushing that burden off and saying, ah, we'll make YouTube and Facebook do it. They, they, can, they can do it. They've got a ton of money, which is true. Uh, but the governments have a ton of money too. And so I think, you know, 
I think the the content providers like YouTube, they're going to be as ineffective as the governments at this stuff, and it's just going to be a mess. We'll, we'll see how it all pans out in 2019. All right. It'll sounds be good. Fun. Yeah, it, it sounds like a great time. Uh, well, sticking over uh, in the EU, or at least what's in the EU for right now, uh, this article is on BBC.com. Uh, let's see. What do we have? British Airways breach. How did hackers get in? Well, that's one of those great headlines you're talking about, Don, so I assume we've got the answer <laughs> down here in this article, one. right? Yep, so this one uh, is interesting because British Airways has not released any details yet on how the breach happened. Uh, so there was a breach. Customer credit card and travel data was leaked out for a period of time. Uh, security researchers have had a t chance to take a stab at this, and you might remember that uh, a few months ago we reported on a breach at the Ticketmaster site. Uh, last week, we had a follow-up on that where more details had come out on how that breach had occurred. Uh, we talked about a compromise in the Magento shopping cart as well as um, a compromise in the uh, a little chat support system that uh, Ticketmaster was using. Well, it looks like British Airways was a part of that. They had a very similar setup. So when the researchers were studying the site and, and looking at the different components inside of it, they found that uh, it appeared to work in a very similar way to Ticketmaster. So this is likely the same thing. So I want to reinforce what we said the last time, which is if you have any kind of shopping cart or pages with user input, those are not good pages to have pop-up chat messages and other embedded marketing tracking stuff, because those all become weaknesses in your security posture. They increase your attack surface, and British Airways has learned that the hard way. We'll see as more details come out, but it's really interesting to see that this is kind of that same attack over and over again. Yeah, so going back to that headline of how did hackers get in? They don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a uh, yeah, a little deceitful. Well, the sad part is sometimes they they do know. Like like well, the people writing this article don't yeah. know, but yeah. uh, uh, like British Airways probably does know. And I, I wish they would come out and provide those details because then anybody else who's doing the same thing could fix it. But instead, it'll get tied up in uh, you know a lawsuit. There'll be some litigation there, and then we won't find out how they got in until years later when it's no longer relevant. Yeah, I would think with GDPR that 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 would would be part of it that. We'd get a little more transparency, but yeah, they say you have to disclose the breach within three days of it occurring. But that's it; you have to disclose that a breach occurred, not yeah. any details about it. Yeah, I'm sure they have to disclose to someone what they're doing to fix yeah. it, but not us, not the general public. All right, well, let's move on now to some Apple news, and this is not the big announcements um, from earlier this week that you want to talk about. We'll get to those, uh, but first, some bad news over on 9to5Mac.com. Uh, the number one paid utility in the Mac App Store steals browser history and sends it to Chinese servers. That doesn't sound like it's what it's supposed to do, most likely. You know, honestly, I this I went through a bit of a roller coaster with this whole storyline, right? Because when I first saw that, like, oh crap, you know, there's the this this app in the macOS App Store. Mind you, it's a curated app store, one that Apple is supposed to be checking the apps to make sure they're safe. An app is in the app store that is bundling your data and shipping it to a server in China. Well, then you look at the app. The app was called Adware Doctor, and so right off the bat, if you, if you come from a Windows background, you know that these kind of uh, app cleaners or, or performance optimizers, that they're all snake oil, and most of them do have some kind of adware bundled into them, even though they're supposed to be preventing adware themselves. Uh, this one, if you notice, the publisher is Yongming Zhang. So that's a person, not not necessarily a, a company or uh, you know a, a somebody who's reputable in the in the area. So when I saw that name, though, I thought, well, all right, so this is just a person, and 
the name sounds Chinese, so sending data to a Chinese server, well, if, if that's just where they live, that, that's not a government conspiracy or anything. Yeah. That's when people set up servers, they set them up near where they are. So that, that makes sense, and it's just junk software. What really got me, though, was the reveal that this person is not actually just a person. The register had a little bit more information on it, and a lot of these apps were actually tied to security from Trend Micro. Trend Micro, they make antivirus products. They have been around for decades. I've used their products myself. They're very reliable. They have a really good uh, research laboratory, uh, but they had a number of apps, Dr. Cleaner, Dr. Antivirus, App Uninstall, and it looks like Trend Micro has been acquiring all these little products to try and roll it into their bigger product. Unfortunately, all of these apps were collecting browser history, archiving it up with a hard-coded password that was easily broken, uh, and then they were shipping it off to servers overseas. Um, every one of these apps has been yanked from the App Store. Uh, Apple has, has killed off every one of them. And Trend Micro has revealed uh, a little bit of an update that, yes, they, they are aware of it. They uh, It was an unfortunate side effect, so they sent an update over to the register um, talking about Dr. Cleaner, Dr. Cleaner Pro, Dr. Antivirus, Dr. Unarchiver, Dr. Battery, Duplicate Finder, all of these different apps that they had, um, that they were doing this so that they could look at the browser history to see if you had visited a compromised website. So that was their their uh, air of legitimacy on this, uh, but that uh, they, they say they were sending it to a U.S.-based server, not a China-based server. Uh, so that's a little bit of a different side of that story. Uh, either way, they said they are going to be removing that feature from the software, which obviously makes sense. We certainly don't want to be sending our browser history. Uh, and for the record, it was collecting the browser history for Firefox, Chrome, and Safari. So it didn't really matter what browser you used on this one. The comment from Apple was kind of interesting on this because people asked, like, hey, isn't macOS sandboxing supposed to... Yeah, how does to... this get through the sandbox process? Well, the app would just prompt and say, do you want to give access to this application? And the users would say, okay. And so Apple said, hey, the users are saying, okay, that's not our problem. Uh, and in this case, it shows how when you leave security up to the end user, you might as well not have security. Well, that's why I only use Microsoft Edge on my MacBook. Yeah. Can you even get that on a MacBook? No, I don't think no. so. All right, I, I run a virtual machine. <laughs> I know you can do Internet Explorer if you run, like, Crossover, but, uh, yeah, I don't think you can do that Edge. That seems more trouble than, well, it's not worth anything. So It's yeah. absolutely more trouble. Right. <laughs> well, let's get to the Apple news that you actually want to hear about now. Yesterday uh, was iPhone Day, and, uh, wow, what big news if you are uh, you have, you know, unlimited wealth and, uh, and like, cameras and did, enormous phones. Did you, uh, did you watch the event? I, I watched bits and pieces. I didn't watch live. So um, I, I wasn't feeling well yesterday, and so I actually had time to sit and watch the whole, I watched the whole event. And um, I, I wasn't excited about really anything. Uh, you know, normally some kind of update comes out, and, and it's exciting. But uh, I really didn't see anything crazy here. Uh, I did find it interesting that everything's really expensive now. And that was what uh, ZDNet highlighted, is that if you want to get the new iPhone XS Max, and go with the 500 gig option or 512 gig option, uh, it is almost $1,500. That is one expensive phone. 500 gigs, though, is a lot of storage. Um, I have 256 gigs on mine. I'm not even using half of it. Uh, so that, you know, is... That's I, strange to me because it seems like in the in the computer world, we're going smaller in uh, in terms of hard, hard drive size because we're putting more in the cloud. So I, I'm surprised to see that they're going that big on something because, you know... It, it's it's really photos and music that are are taking up most of the space on on people's phones and those things are 
mostly in the cloud for a lot of people now. You're you're backing up the photos to iCloud or or some other service and deleting the photos locally. Music, I mean, if you want it for offline use, it's there, but uh, with so all the services. It's that offline use that you mentioned, yeah. right? When I'm on my laptop or on a desktop, I'm typically on a wireless network. I've got access to my data or I'm at home. I've got access to all of that. But on my phone, if I'm if I'm on a plane yeah. or if I'm traveling, I, I have a, a cell data plan that has a cap. But, you know, And the caps are really low on cell data, at least here in the U.S. So having that media, like I, I keep my entire music collection on my phone. It's like 40 gigs. Yeah. So just right off the bat, you lose that. Uh, if you shoot videos, the HDR videos, those consume a lot of space. Well, the it's, operating system's not mentioned in that 512 megs or yep, gigs. And it's, yeah. it's pretty bloated for a mobile yeah. OS. It's over 20 gigs in size. So, um, you know, all that takes a, a hit at it. But they did release their new models, so check it out. Um, I personally, I, I have an iPhone 10. You have an iPhone, iPhone 10, 10, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't see anything that made me want to upgrade. Yeah, and I was worried because I'm like, oh, I just got this thing, and it was a lot of money. Yep. So I was hoping there wouldn't be. But let, uh, let's run down the, the things real quick. We've got uh, the the XS Max, because uh, they, they stuck with the S um, kind of iterative it's not uh, XS, naming. It's 10S. I'm sorry, 10S. Well, but it is excessive. Uh, in a <laughs> in six and a half inch screen, uh, which is basically, I mean, what's the smallest iPad these days? That, that's that's got to be close. Um, nine inches, eight inches. Uh, the standard iPad is nine point seven inches. So the mini has um, got to be. I don't think they sell the mini anymore, do they? Uh, I don't know. I think if you go to the store, it starts at the nine point seven, and then it goes up to the twelve point nine. I'll, I'll look into that. Uh, but yeah, we've got the prices you mentioned there, and if uh, if we scroll down a little bit, down you've got the image that's got the the prices and the capacity so it's starting at at 1099 for 64 gigs which you know don would use right away between the os and his music yeah and uh and and just goes up from there um the apple watch there were some announcements about that as well so you so you watched it what did anything stick yeah. out to you there I, th it's got a bigger screen I, I could see upgrading for that like they, they looked really nice uh the other stuff they pushed was all health stuff which mm -hmm. i don't use any of the health features on my Apple Watch. You don't use it until you need it, Don. Uh, you, you could do an ECG. I could know if I was having a heart attack right from my watch, uh, which is, is cool. Huh? EKG? You know, it, they, it they specifically thing? call it ECG, so it's a different thing. Huh. Okay. Uh, and uh, and I thought that was interesting, too, because at the, at the hospital, uh, not that yeah, I would know, but they, they usually want an EKG. So, but yeah. Um, so anyhow, it was really interesting. Uh, obviously, it's all the standard Apple marketing applied on this one. It's the fastest iPhone ever created, the highest quality iPhone ever created, the most storage in an iPhone ever created, and so on. Is it a Retina watch? Uh, uh, no. Because <laughs> that was the buzzword for a while. They should come up with their own. Retina. Well, they were calling these... Um, these oil, uh, the OLED screens, they call them Super Retina, I think. They were trying to give it this new moniker. Uh, we'll see if it catches on. I want to say it was Super super retina or something hyper retina i don't know whatever um but yeah so there was that what i thought was really interesting though uh actually really didn't have anything to do with hardware at all it was software back at wwdc apple announced tons of new software coming along updates and patches and things like that and then proceeded not to release any of them even at the big event yesterday they didn't release any of them but they did release some dates uh, over on Macworld, they had a roll-up article that had all the release dates, which I thought was really cool. Um, iOS 12 is coming out on September 17th, which is this coming Monday. Uh, the big update there, I don't know if this affects you, Peter, or not, but they're finally going to be adding support for Waze in uh, CarPlay. Yes, I've been waiting for that, because I, I remember they mentioned that at, at a previous announcement. Months ago. And I looked for it and looked for it, thinking, okay, well, I've got to update the Waze app then, or, or what am I missing? 
because I yeah you know, I have the CarPlay and I and yeah. I haven't had that. So. It's a part of iOS 12. Oh, that's um, exciting. iOS 12, which I'm sure will proceed to break many many of your apps, but uh, but it's there. Uh, the watchOS, tvOS also come out at the same time. macOS Mojave is coming out September 24th. That's not this coming Monday, but the following Monday. Uh, so that will be coming out. You'll get your all-new dark mode and some other optimizations that are in there. Uh, the uh, file categories is going to be in there and a few other options and enhancements. So that'll be really cool. I'm looking forward to Mojave coming out. Uh, that'll certainly be a big deal in two weeks. So that, to me, was all more exciting than the hardware. Now, do I wait for Mojave because I, I haven't gone to High Sierra because of the whole external monitor through a dock thing? Well, I, I think... Um, if, if anything has been proven so far, it's that it will be an absolute train wreck on release. So, so yeah, you, you'll okay. want to wait. Uh, if you have a production machine, you don't want to go day one on it. But you know, for somebody like me, I, I'll roll it out on day one uh, yeah. because I, I have to learn it. Um, but it's uh, it'll probably be rocky. Well, I hope I hope there are more Animojis um, that are released as well. Well, one of the big features of Mojave was improved sandboxing. That would supposedly help prevent some of the stuff that happened with the Trend Micro software. Uh, anytime they mess with sandboxing, it breaks apps. So you can pretty much count on third-party apps uh, having a rocky start, at least for the first month or two. Exciting. All right. It's a good time. Uh, let's go to Just our next. Just the way Steve Jobs <laughs> yeah, intended. Exactly. Uh, all right. Let's go over to nakedsecurity.sophos.com. I guess this is Sophos's blog. Sophos's? Yeah. Yeah. So, let's go with uh, that. Sophie. Uh, Sophie's <laughs> Sophie's blog. Sophie. Yeah. Uh, Google Chrome will now generate unique passwords for you. So I, I wonder if, if something like this is, is going to be a threat to the last passes of the world out there. Well, you know, Google Chrome has been offering to store your passwords for years, and it'll synchronize between devices, which is nice. So as long as you're using the Chrome browser across your devices, you're all synced up, your passwords are there. Um, on a positive side, you've got that functionality. On a negative side, it is tied just to Chrome. So if you store a password there and then you're using somebody else's browser or you're using an app or something like that, you can't get at the password that's stored. If you have something like LastPass or KeyPass, uh, OneLogin, one of those guys, what they do is they store your password, but it's kind of independent of the application that it's inside. So you can use it across the board. I personally use LastPass. Uh, I do as you well. Do yeah. yep. so, so is uh, there not a place where you can go in in Chrome and say, show me that password from the site that, that I saved here in Chrome? I don't believe so. I, I, I haven't heard of one. Yeah, I, I I know Making it gets sure. stored on the on the Macs. It actually uses the Apple keychain, and so the ah. password is there, but you can't expose it. Um, on the Windows side, I've, I've not seen a way to access that. Yeah, and so. I'm sure you can't share it like you can with a LastPass or something like that. So There's a, a lot of advantages to yeah. the other systems. <laughs> but, uh, but one thing that Chrome didn't do up until this release is to actually help you pick your password in the first place. So it would store your bad password all you wanted. But now when you go and access a password form, It'll actually prompt, and uh, the uh, the guys over at Naked Security did a little animated GIF here that uh, goes through and shows it. You know, as they go in and punch, they pick a, an account, and or actually that one's auto-filling. I thought they had an animation. Or maybe they don't. I thought they had an animation where it showed auto-generating, but it'll generate a complex password. You know, capital letters, lowercase letters, numbers, special characters. And that way you know you're starting. Oh, there it goes. Uh, there, it's, it's generating a nice, well, I said special characters. That password <laughs> they showed in the animation had no special characters in it. Um, so, you know, always be careful there. Make well, sure I know that's a, setting, that's a setting in LastPass to say, you know, the confusing character. I can't remember what they call them, but zeros and, and mm -hmm. O's or I's and L's and things like that. Ones. Yeah. So uh, maybe you have some settings in there. I know Google, um, Google doesn't subscribe to the idea that your password has to be overly complex. Like in Gmail, if you have two-factor authentication turned on and you generate application-specific passwords, which are like static passwords, it's a 16-character password that's just 
letters. No, no number, and they're all lowercase. No, no numbers, no special characters, no uppercase. All lowercase, just letters. Uh, you're working based solely on the strength of having it being a, a long password. So I don't know if uh, Google's done some extra research there to prove this is stronger or what, or maybe they assume you're using it in conjunction with two-factor. They certainly do like that, uh, but they they have a different take on security than than a lot of researchers. All right. Well, let's uh, head over now to the Microsoft world. We've talked Apple. We've talked Google. Uh, so this is on Forbes.com. Microsoft confirms Windows 7 new monthly charge. So why are we talking about Windows 7 now? All right. So Microsoft has this pattern. I think most people have picked up on it where every other operating system is good. So uh, you had Windows 98. People loved it. Windows 2000. People didn't love it. Windows XP, people loved it. Windows Vista, people hated it. Um, then there was Windows, uh, shoot, what was after Vista? Do we have two lemons in a row? Was, oh, after Windows Vista was Windows 7, people loved it. Then yeah. we had Windows 8, people hated it. Now we have Windows 10, people love it. So it kind of goes back and forth, right? And they typically only support the last two operating systems or whatever's current and the one before it. So right now, that would be Windows 10 and Windows 8. But they've kind of changed the rules a little bit because Windows 8 was not a success. So uh, it's Windows 10 and Windows 7. Well, Windows 7 is creeping up on end of life. They're going to end support for Windows 7, but a lot of people are still running it. Uh, there was a number, I don't think it was in this article, and another article was saying as many as like 40% of Windows users are still running Windows 7. And if that's the case and you end support for it, that's as many as 40% of Windows 7 users who are now vulnerable to attack because their system is no longer receiving security updates. So what Microsoft is saying is, look, it's going to end a life. It's going to end life on January 14th, 2020, right? So we're talking about uh, a year and four months from now. So a year and four months from now, it's going to end of life. And at that point, if you want to get security updates for Windows 7, you got to pay. You're going to have to sign up for a subscription and pay a monthly or annual fee in order to continue getting updates, which they will do through 2023, and then they'll drop support for Windows 7 entirely, regardless of whether you pay or not, right? Microsoft is doing the same thing for Windows XP right now. There's several organizations, including the U.S. Navy, that are paying to get security updates for Windows XP, even though it's officially end of life for everybody else. Uh, so you can certainly do that. But what they're basically trying to do is say, look, you need to upgrade. That if you're still running Windows 7, we know it was a great OS. Windows 10 is a great OS. You need to upgrade. It used to be, back in the olden days, that a new OS would have great new features, and that's why you wanted to upgrade. It's not like that anymore. OSs, I mean, and this is across the board. If you look at Mac OS, Linux, Windows, there's really these new versions come out. There's not this driving factor that makes you say, boy, I really need to upgrade. I'm really looking forward to that one feature. So now they're, they're using security updates as that motivating factor. Like, hey, we want you on the newer platform. And it does... Bring, I mean, Windows 10 is a significant upgrade to Windows 7. Uh, for me, as a, a technology enthusiast, I, for me, absolutely, I, I hate going back to Windows 7 machines. I loved Windows 7, but I've gotten so used to Windows 10. Um, but for your average person who's using their computer just to go online and, and check email, Windows 7, Windows 10, it's all the same to them. So why pay money to upgrade when they don't benefit? And that's what Microsoft is trying to combat with this. Uh, the reality is it, it's a, a ways out. Um, a lot of people are starting to complain, saying, look, when we bought Windows 7, it was a one-time fee, and now you're turning it into a monthly fee. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been, I can't remember when Windows 7 came out exactly, but it's been many, many years. So that one-time fee. Yeah, expecting something to, to uh, last that long in, in technology when you buy it is yeah. 
that's a tough argument to make. Uh, well, let's stick with uh, with Windows news here over on ExtremeTech.com. Windows 10 now warns users not to install Chrome or Firefox. And Don, as interested as I am in this story, it's that picture that <laughs> I, I absolutely love. It says, Windows 10, we've finally fixed everything. And uh, I don't know how that plane's going to land, but uh, I'd, I'd love to see it try. So what are we talking about? Uh, is this just a uh, another... Um, monopoly kind of move by Microsoft to get us to, to use uh, Edge now? All right. So uh, if you find somebody who hates Windows 10, which is not that hard, um, there's plenty of people like me. Who I, I think Windows 10 is great. I, I like it. Um, it's not hard to find somebody who says, I hate Windows 10. I won't run it. It's unusable. And if you ask them why, nine times out of 10, they say, it totally violates all of my privacy. It, it, it's an advertising platform. There's, you can Google it. You'll find tons of people making this argument. Now, it's not entirely true. It's a very usable OS, and you can turn the ads off and so on. But things keep happening. Microsoft pushes an update, and all of a sudden the ads are turned back on. You know, and, and, and you adjust your privacy settings, and an update comes out, and all the privacy settings get reset. But with the latest update, Microsoft did something that's ruffled a few feathers. If you install Windows 10, you do the latest update, and you go to download Google Chrome or download Firefox, when you download them, Windows intercepts the download just like it would a virus or malware. And it would say, this is not a trusted executable. Do you want to run it? Well, this one, it intercepts it, and it says, you already have Microsoft Edge, the safer, faster browser <laughs> from Windows 10. Would you like to open Edge or install anyway? Right, And then it says, don't want to be warned in the future? Open your settings. That tells you this is a warning. We're warning you about the software you're about to download. You can install it anyway. Right? If you think you know better, you can do that. But Edge, it's the faster, safer browser for the Windows 10. Quicker picker-upper. That's right. So uh, so a lot of people are getting frustrated with that. You know, Microsoft uh, very publicly uh, had that huge EU fine assessed against them well, 10 years ago now. They had to start releasing special versions of Windows that did not include a web browser in Europe. So that's where you had the N versions, like Windows 7N and Windows 8. Uh, that, that didn't have Internet Explorer packaged inside of them because of the, the browser conflict. So now they're really pushing the line and saying, if you try and download another browser, yeah, you can download it, but we're going to put in a little ad here for our own browser first. You should really try Edge. And Microsoft is, has been kind of fighting this uphill battle for a while now of, uh, you know, people, people got tired of Internet Explorer that it, it you know, just had too many things that were, were a problem with it. It was slower. It was causing issues. People migrated to Chrome, and people migrated to Firefox, and now Microsoft has Edge, which, by all rights, is a it's a, it's a really nice browser. But you take somebody like me, where I moved to Chrome, why would I move back to Edge? Give me some selling feature here. There's no selling feature to move me back to Edge. Well, here they're saying, we don't need a selling feature. We can just convince people. We can tell them, it, it's safer, it's better, it's faster. You definitely want to use it. So we'll see where that goes. I'm, I'm certain the EU will have a, uh, a grievance against this. But uh, for right now, if you go to download Chrome or Firefox on a Windows 10 box that's been updated, expect to see an extra pop-up. Exciting. <laughs> that's, that's why I only, like I said, use Edge here on my, my MacBook through <laughs> VMware or something. I, like uh, I still use uh, Mosaic. Oh, wow. Do you know Mosaic? I, I remember the name. Yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a C-Monkey user myself. C-Monkey. There we go. Yeah, I actually <laughs> know something, but I've never actually used that. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I, re I remember I've looked at the traffic before on a web on our website and said, 
what is Sea Monkey? How are we getting traffic from this? So. I used to always fire up links, the old uh, text-based web okay. browser, because then you could show really cool user agents with that. <laughs> Have all sorts of fun. Fantastic. <laughs> all right. Well, we want to let you guys know about. Uh, we actually had a webinar earlier today on DOS, uh, desktop as a service. That was Ronnie and Wes. But we've got another one uh, coming up for you. Uh, this next one is top five DevOps blunders and. Um, it is Thursday, September 20th, so probably this Thursday uh, when you're hearing this podcast. Uh, and that's going to be Don and Justin. And I think you're both kind of going back and forth talking about some of the, the blunders you've seen uh, over the years, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, definitely want to check that out. Head over to itpro.tv slash webinars. That's where you can register for the upcoming one on uh, the 20th. But you can also see all of our old webinars there and download the recordings and watch those and enjoy them. And I think that, that uh, DOS one will probably be up on on Monday or, or, or Tuesday, so uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. Uh, we'll get that edited up. Uh, but that was that was a really good one. There were a ton of great questions, too, so I was uh, excited to see that. And also, if you want to check out IT Pro TV, please go ahead and do that. Uh, we've got a special coupon code for you uh, over at uh, the Technado page, so you can definitely check that out. Get 30% off for the lifetime of your subscription uh, if you want to learn more about IT Pro TV and all the great things we have to offer. So definitely check that out as well. So, Don, any last-minute uh, words of advice? No, just uh, you know, be on the lookout for macOS Mojave dropping on Monday and all the other great software that's coming out, and you know, just stay safe on the internet. Yeah, and stay safe on the East Coast too. Um, go back and watch that emergency pre emergency preparedness um, video for uh, making sure your data stays safe as well. So that's a great thing to check out. But thank you so much for watching this week, and uh, we will see you uh, bright and early next week. <laughs> <laughs>